Texas Slim with Adam Curry for November 10th, 2021. This is episode number eight. Right outside of this one church town, there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country. We pray for rain and thank him when it's falling, because it brings a grain and a little bit of money. We put it back in a plate, I guess that's why they call it God's country. With me today, a guy I was introduced to by Marty Bent of Tales from the Crypts podcast. And this guy is a substack that is scaring the crap out of me. Everybody, please say hello to Texas Slim. <laughs> hey, buddy, how you doing? How's it going, Adam? You it's, doing all right today? I'm doing great, man. This is a much better connection than we had the other day when I was driving through Hill Country. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> We know how that is driving through the hill country. It is up and down, and, you know, the coverage is not that good out there, which is sometimes a good thing. Yeah, I mean, literally, you have to have T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T to ensure you're connected most of the way. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> it, it's a big conspiracy between all three of them. <laughs> uh, conspiracy or just collusion? That would collusion, like, yeah. yeah. We'll just go with that. Um, so now you have... Uh, you have a really interesting microphone set up, so we're, we're going to live with that, make it sound as good as possible. I'm going to get you some gear, man. We, 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 we got to work we on are. that because all of a sudden, you're everywhere. Uh, people exactly. are looking at your sub stack. Um, of course, uh, Marty introduced me. to. Uh, how did you actually hook up with Marty? What had happened is I put out that first article on my Substack, Harvest of Deception, and that went over to uh, Princey, which is a Once Bitten podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel, he's out there in uh, France, and uh, so we did a podcast. It was it was really good, and I, I called Marty out <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> oh, that usually works, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and probably within the next day, Marty said, "Hey, let's do this," and so we scheduled a date, and it was a good day in Austin. I was going to Austin, and so. You know, we met. We became uh, pretty good friends pretty fast. He's a he's a good guy, indeed. And um, so you are, as far as I know, you were born and bred in Texas. And yes. uh, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your background and how that ties into the Beef Initiative and what you're doing right now. So we can then go get down to brass tacks. Sure. Yeah, I was born in a little town called Tan uh, Canyon, Texas. It's up in the Texas Panhandle. Um, all of my family, basically, of grandparents, great-grandparents, established this part of Texas in the, the late 1800s. I'm a seventh-generational Texan, and we came from down south Texas, which most people did, mm -hmm. if they've been in Texas for a long time. How, how, um, how old are you? I'm sorry. I, I don't really know, actually. Yeah, yeah I'm a Gen, Gen Xer. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. a little bit behind you, I think. So. Probably so 40. 
Yeah, forties, fifties area. <laughs> <laughs> it gets it gets vague after a while. <laughs> you know what? I, I quit counting my birthday after I could drink that beer legal. So <laughs> here we go. Right. Okay. X all the way. Gotcha. Right. Gen X all the way. And I grew up watching a lot of you. So, um, (laughs) but anyways, my, my grandfather was a farmer out of a little town called Lotney, Texas. And that's how he raised our whole family. And my other grandfather worked into the, he, he was worked in the grain elevators. He managed grain elevators. So it's a deep seated in our history of agriculture and also raising beef and agriculture as far as our animal protein. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's in the family. It's in the family history. You know, my grandfather survived the Dust Bowl. He survived two world wars. He raised eight children, you know, 20 grandchildren, and it was all based around the farm. So right. that's how I kind of have that skill set. And I, you know, I grew up with dirt roads. I grew up close to a city, uh, but most of it was pretty gritty uh pretty tough and uh you had a lot of good blue collar skill sets but we also had a university so i always balanced my upbringing with uh, higher education reflection and then that of being a kind of a small town texas boy that has to be tough mm-hmm. and um, whenever i was 19 i fled to austin and i wanted to get to austin i'd always loved austin growing up well back in the and, day it was it was a hoot in austin it was super fun this was 80s I presume. Yeah, it was the late 80s, exactly. And, you know, I was a hippie punk cowboy. You know, I was listening to Super Suckers and Social nice. Distortion, you know, Social Distortion and, you know, Willie Nelson and Waylon and Johnny Cash. And you combine all those together, you know, Austin was a hippie punk cowboy scene and yeah. so it was fun back then it was a different city it wasn't as big it was uh, very individual it was very non-corporate you know there was a lot of beautiful things about it that's why it was an oasis and that's why so many people fled to it yeah i would say the keep austin weird came from the anti-corporatism really that's the way i felt it, it 11 years ago it really did you know it became a marketing plan for the city you know, it actually and- fucked it all up at the same time Oh, it's the biggest psyop. Everybody, anybody that wears that T-shirt, I want to kick their ass, basically. It's like, you I don't know. have a freaking clue. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, you know, moving to Austin, you know, opened my eyes up to the world. I'd always been a wanderlust type of guy. And so I started traveling around the world, making connections, working in the entertainment business a little bit. But I got into technology. I used to sneak into University of Texas for about three to four years. And I would go to the classes I wanted to learn stuff about i started uh, wait so you just you just snuck in without being an enrolled student oh yeah nice i I lived on west campus there and uh (laughs) so a lot of my friends you know i was out bartending playing golf and mountain biking and swimming and they'd always be telling me about school and i was like well hell i need to check that out so i would like infiltrate the classes and i would be you know i'd be that cousin from ireland or something or (laughs) you know or i'd be a guy you know coming from maryland that wanted to check out the university of Texas. So I always had a story. And so I I actually started dating a girl that was in the radio, television, and film. And we started really hanging out in the labs there at UT. They had some great labs there. And so I got a four-year degree without even ever having to go to a philosophy class or, you know, a biology class. Right, or, but did you, you, know, gra- did you graduate? 
Well, I could have, but I didn't want to take the test. Right. So screw that. I know what I need. I know what I need to know. And Mm so I started studying networking and computer networking. And here we go. I'm sorry sorry to interrupt, but you had no um, desire to continue in the family business. I did, but in the eighties, my grandfather, he was older, of course, and my uncle, uh, he was he had a another business, but in the eighties it was really easy to sell your land because of, you know, you remember farming. I sure do. I sure do. Yeah. And so it was tough to survive. In the eighties, and with my grandfather's age and the rest of my family, you know, were basically on my grandfather's side. That grandfather were aunts. He had a lot of daughters. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was it, it could have happened. It, yes, it could have happened. I was too young and impressionable, and I didn't. I wasn't close enough to the farm as maybe I look back as I should have been, mm-hmm. and maybe I wish I was now. I think and that I think so, the tip off is when you said that uh, you know you as the hippie punk cowboy, you were playing <laughs> golf. There's a tip off there, man. What's up with? I've never heard of a hippie punk cowboy playing golf. Do you remember Willie Nelson's uh, golf course? No. No, I didn't, of I didn't know that. Oh, of course. oh, I had no idea. Oh, yes, that was back in the day. He had a golf course, and him and Daryl Roll used to play golf all the time. And whenever he had his tax things with the IRS, you yeah. know, all of his buddies bought his golf course. Oh, yes, I do remember that. <laughs> right, right. Wow, that was the 80s, too. That was the late eighties, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that was the thing to do. You know, you you played golf with your kind of your hippie punk cowboy cowboy hat. Sweet, drink, sweet. Drink your you drink your uh, Shiner Bach and, you know, you went and just enjoyed life in Austin. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was the scene. But, yeah, that probably kicked it off a little bit. I was always uh, – in Austin, I was always the cowboy hick. And then back home, I was always the computer nerd. So I never really fit in anywhere. <laughs> right. But you were always the go-to guy on either side of the fence. I really was um, yeah. in every direction. So, in that, I was gifted with that with a very good core belief system my father gave me. So, I've always been thankful for that. And so, you found uh, computer information technology, yeah. networking, mm-hmm. and uh, you just got sucked in. And now, take me from there to uh, the initiative. Okay, I worked in um, a couple of startups there in Austin. Some of them really did well. One of them basically sold to Charles Schwab for a half a billion dollars back in 1999, I believe it was. So I was around a lot of very smart people. And um, so I had a pretty good corporate technology career. And so I ended up in the technology industry. basically intelligence labs in Austin, Texas for a telecommunications company. And I learned a lot. I was able to be brought in as a contractor because I'd worked for this company beforehand. And they said, well, we can't have you in these labs unless you're a contractor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. And I wonder why. But if you, if you know anything about Eric Snowden, you'll understand why they do that. So I was a contractor for a good five to seven years in the intelligence labs. So I learned a lot. And I learned a lot how our information architecture 
is set up across the nation and of course the world i learned where you know things get filtered how they get filtered the hubs everything that is going on well i also worked with a lot of marketing departments and they had very close ties with companies like facebook and google and these social media companies and a lot of people don't give the telecommunications uh industry a lot of credit for what they truly are and so you know we get pissed off because we get bad bills or we get bad service in the hill country Mm -hmm. but they're far more better uh bigger and more complex than anybody ever wants to give them credit for and they do that by design they take the black eye because they know what they're doing if you ever look at something called room 641a that was a you know that was a big um kickoff to civilian surveillance in the United States. So saying all that, I learned a lot uh, how things worked. I learned a lot about the dopamine, you know, engineering, and I learned about how they were doing social media with algorithms, how they were doing things with artificial intelligence. And so, um, by the way, I, I, uh, room six, uh, six, four, one, a, I, uh, I lived I had an apartment right down the street from that creepy building. It was unbelievable. Wow. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And you know, we've we've have, we've d- gone so deep into Binny and uh, mm-hmm. you know all this stuff, and how oh, they're just sucking off the whole internet, just making a copy. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I didn't want to interrupt. Sorry. Go ahead. No, keep, but keep going. I'm glad I'm glad you validate it because oh, yeah. you understand what it mm-hmm. is. A lot mm-hmm. of people will say, "I don't know what the hell that is." What is he talking about? Well, I, but so. Slim, you got to understand, I was there, man. I was there I when it. we were still <laughs> dialing in uh, through a PPP and slip accounts. You know, I was I was there when Mark Andreessen set me up with the first HTTPD server when he built Mosaic. He was still in college. I saw this happening and all the roll-ups of all the telecoms. I mean, it was, it was a free for all. It was crazy. That's amazing. I, I'm, I'm very impressed by how you have, you have evolved and how you've uh, pioneered everything. So kudos to you real quick. Well, I, I also grew up with an interesting set of, you know, with a, with a skill stack, I guess, talent stack. Sure. Um, not dissimilar to you. I have, uh, well, my whole family is government, military right. intelligence. So I have that background while being kind of the black sheep. Um, cause I, you know, I, I had, a, I went to college, didn't get a degree. I only went three months though. <laughs> like, uh, this is not for me. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm with you and I understand how you can put all these things together and, you know, when I when uh, Marty sent me a, a link to your kind of your your what got you on the map, the harvest of deception, you've done a part two since then. But this was, uh, I think, mid to late uh, September. Right. Um, yeah, it was. And you just read through that. Now, uh, having been having done no agenda for so many years, you know, um, for me, high fructose, high fructose corn syrup is is just as normal that that's something you don't want in your life as the federal reserve. You know, I, these are things that have been embedded for a long, long time. And, um, it was Dvorak who, uh, who set me straight on canola oil. This is canola oil. I mean, rapeseed oil. I said, it was canola oil. He says, no, that's a brand, bro. This is processed right. rapeseed oil. So I knew that one. Um, but you know, and I, I made the mistake of sharing this with my wife before I had spoken to you, because I didn't have answers, and she's reading through it, and she's like, oh, my God. And she goes to the pantry, and she's ripping stuff out, and it's like, I can't eat this. This is horrible. And, and I'm like, you know, you're not wrong. Um, so it, it really was an eye-opener even for me, and or maybe especially for me because I'm a little bit jaded having heard so much of this. But now, 
you're the interesting thing that you understand is how the technology piece fits into this. And I'll, and I'll, maybe I can kick us off and I'll share something that, uh, someone sent to me today. Um, this was, uh, it was a story. Actually, it was a, I think it was a podcast about climate reporting for green finance and which crypto specifically is going to be utilized in third party reporting of CO2 emissions and weather data. Mark Cuban is on a climate foundation board with the co-founder of Chainlink, which is a public company. Um, so here's the example of how they, these guys are thinking. A dairy farm will no longer be self-reporting emissions uh, of the farm, but sensors in the ground that relay the data to Chainlink's protocol will then be used to input into smart contracts that have been struck to release funds or tax incentives for the farm for meeting emission standards, and and it, you know this just came across my uh, my desk. I'm like, holy crap! This is exactly what Slim is talking about. You just nailed it right there. I was looking at something before I got onto this cast, and they're basically saying, you know, with full automation, you can take the manual work out of the dairy cow. And so basically that dairy cow is set up to a system that is creating real-time data with the flow, with the basically the health of the cow, the blood pressure of the cow, the quality of the milk and everything. You're basically putting a, an Apple watch on the cow. Yeah, basically putting an Apple Watch on a cow. And by doing that, I mean, the digitization, that type of data that they're creating is talking to the satellites. It is reporting real time. What is that doing? Well, that's creating a whole new value set based on our food consumption and how they can actually manipulate that dairy from that cow is going to be phenomenally corrupt in ways that will control us. And, you know, even I don't understand yet, but I'm getting there. Could you give me an example of of how that would work? Well, you know, let's talk about quality, you know, and, and value of quality. And they'll be able to frame you in ways, predictive analysis. Well, you don't mind drinking shit milk. So we're going to feed you shit milk. And- <laughs> so wait, so that we're going to test and make sure, A, that you don't die from it because you're wearing right. your, your, your Apple Watch. So we'll know you're mm-hmm. alive. And we're going to degrade the quality until we get the feedback from you that you're not digging it that much. Basically, yeah, it's it's basically called an evidence-based intervention system that they do with real-time data. Um, They're basically preempting having to fix you with knowing the boundaries of you being okay and functional, but less of yourself, but not more than they want you to be. And they're getting to that point, but they're not there yet. So it will really be what I'm hearing you say is, hold on, it was evidence-based, what system? Evidence-based? Intervention, Intervention, intervention. So so what they really want is they want to manage your health by the quality of the input. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and you, well, you look at that, you, you had the medical, pharmaceutical, agricultural complex right now. 
they're not different anymore. You know, they are so intertwined by this point. You know, it's not far off. And they've been working on this for a while. You've heard me say that. Yeah. You know, I go back 12 years. I'm not going to go back any further than that, basically, because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter when it started. It started. And so all the combination of basically, you know, especially in the the seed industry, all the different type of partnerships that were created back then you had you know the combinations of so much in the in basically like warren buffett major major uh food industries combining and then you had seven 2017 we always talk about what the heck fuck happened in 1971 yeah. we're going to start talking about what the fuck happened in 2017 as well all right so, let's talk about it well, you had uh, Bear and Monsanto, you know, right. they the, became the merger, mm -hmm. the merger. You had Dow and uh, DuPont. You had Kim China and Sagenta. Ah, this is one uh, of your graphs that you have that you uh, put yeah. in, your, uh, in your stack. Yeah, right. You look at that in every one of them basically happened right around, you know, the meat happened basically in 2017. So you had some of the biggest players in the world all combine at that time. So that says a lot right there. Yeah, especially, especially the Bear uh, Monsanto. That yeah. was that was quite incredible. And well, go ahead. Go. Well, Bear, Bear Monsanto, even Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, everybody hated that deal because of the debt that was taken yeah. out yeah. for that to happen. Right. Well. That that plays into what they're doing right now based on debt. You know, we're creating a form of new debt. It's it's basically um, how's the best way to put it? Um, you know, they're creating a new debt economy that we haven't seen yet. And the debt and will the, perhaps be valued in carbon. Yes. That's one of it right there. You know, that, and, you know, carbon is the air. They're basically creating a whole new value structure, you know, and that's going to be done with stakeholder capitalism. That's going to be done with human capital bond markets is kind of like what we're talking about right now. You are the product now. And whenever you become a good data producer and they can basically have that preemptive, basically, um, sequencing of how you are behaving in your food consumption your behavior oh, right so once they have enough data on you you can be collateralized you can be collateralized in a way that people don't understand or, or well, will they know well it, they won't know because in they people can't look at data in the correct way because it's not tangible they don't understand the amount of data that is being created at this time even you know with their daily lives and right. so we're able to create data store data in a way that we've never been able to do before used to a storage space you know databases and stuff like that it's totally changed on, on, on that on that note so most people who are in the know and understand this stuff which even goes back to your dopamine uh learnings understand sure. that uh, that the social networks and a lot of the fangs you know the facebook apple amazon uh, what is it, to Google, et cetera, that they, um, they are collecting enormous amounts of data. From the way you're speaking, I have the idea that the really val that's, that's ancillary. I mean, it's really good because it has a lot of behavioral information, but mm -hmm. all the, and, and I'm, and I, and of course, 
they want to be able to tap into all of this type of data so they can package it up. I get the feeling the telecom communications companies are ahead of that. Oh, they're 10 years ahead of everybody. They always are. When I was in the labs, they had they had stuff that was 10 years away to being able to go to market. <clears throat> excuse me. And how I like to you uh, I'm sure you snow skied a bunch in your life, right? A little bit. Every okay, every year we wanted new snow equipment. Well, that snow equipment was only released whenever the public was ready for it. That's how they basically capitalize on a better profit margin because you had the boots. Well, the public's not ready for those boots. Let's do these boots first. Okay, in technology it's the same way. Usability was a big thing in the beginning of the internet. Usability was always behind as far as the technology that had already been basically validated mm-hmm. and was able to kick out to the system. Now with artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, as advanced we are, they're just waiting to be able to get that data that they already have basically in one big slush fund, as I'd like to call it, to where it can slosh around and they can pull that data as needed. Is there is there an, uh, like a collaborative that is going to are they go, are they literally going to collaborate and store this data and pull from it well i think they just tried to the last two years okay (laughs) you know where that's going um you know it's risky business to talk about it but the the vaccine had nothing to do with the vaccine a lot of it actually had to do with data capture this is a safe zone uh, texas slim where we talk about everything here particularly if you're going to connect the vaccines to 5g this is the place well, it, it goes way beyond just 5G, that's for sure. All right, sure. hit me, hit me, brother, hit me. Well, well, basically, you know, being able to get somebody, you know, on a futuristic blockchain, you know, we're talking blockchain, you brought it up before as far as crypto and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Okay, if you're willingly giving them um, – you know, you're going to say, well, I'm going to get this vaccine. Well, you just basically created a data set. And so now basically anything that you do the rest of your life will be able to track because of that digital ID. They wanted to do it with younger generations as far as schooling. And basically whenever you're born, you get into the blockchain, you become a digital, you know, identified person. So they said, well, we're going to kick it off with this virus and see what happens. And I don't know enough about the virus and how it, I'm not going to go there. What I do know is that they have the technology that they wanted to t- kind of experiment with the public. They've been doing it in the universities for a while. They're starting to do it with social programs with like in the homeless, uh, social impact studies. You hear that a lot. Yeah. And so they're, they're hitting it from many fronts. One of the most ex- successful ones was basically the the covid and so that's why they pushed it so hard yes the medical the pharmaceutical companies have turned it into a prescription we always knew that was going to be the case but one thing that is very valuable that you see that's about to come up is the new carbon credit economy well we've got this data set slush basically uh fund i guess i don't know what you want to call it but we have this data that the global basically population agreed to participate in. And so you have different, you have Australia that has their people that have, that have become vaccinated. Oh, they're, they're yeah. locked down like dogs there. 
Exactly. Well, that is being very incentivized, saying, hey, Australia, you know you're dependent upon us, so you're going to make this happen. You know, same with every country. Italy, you can look kind of at their debt ratios and their corporate involvement on the global fronts, and you can kind of track that down a little bit. Hey, who who is already captured? Who is really telling everybody to piss off right now. Well, you look at a company or a country like Croatia, they're telling, you know, the Western countries to piss off, saying we're not going to participate in this. And, you know, why isn't China participating in it? Well, you know why China is. Look at what Russia's Russia's doing, you know, Putin. You know, he's being Putin, of course, but they're not participating in this this scare tactics, this psyop that they've got going. So what the West is now basically successfully done we don't know how successful they've been because i think a lot of people aren't vaccinated that they say are vaccinated oh i i'm in in complete agreement with that so australia has a a national debt let me see oh my uh two trillion two Mm -hmm. trillion australian uh dollar reduce which i think is about a buck fifty (laughs) <laughs> I think it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, th- that's very interesting. The idea that countries that have a high national debt are incentivized by whatever's coming in the future to uh, get on board with the program. Is that what I'm hearing you say? You bet. You know, look at Italy. I mean, look how captured they are. You know, you, you look at the countries that basically are being very proactive as far as locking everybody down because they're take what they're trying to do is take away our physical space so they can create the virtual space. And this and is where can, this is where the metaverse comes in, I'm sure. Th- yeah, this is where Okuckberg comes in and the metaverse and all that. You know, they've had the metaverse plan for a long time. You know, he 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 got dibs on it, I guess. Mm. So and and so if you look at that saying, hey, we're taking away your physical space, what did they do during COVID? They took away our physical space. And so it wasn't about safety. It wasn't about, hey, you're going to make somebody else sick if you go out to a restaurant. That had nothing to do with it. So here's okay, a couple of questions. So this data set that was created. So from the outside looking in. It's a total mess when it comes to the registration of people's vaccination. This is why they can't get a a single, um, at least as far as I can tell, this is why they can't get a a single vaccine, you know, vaccine passport together. Every city, Mm -hmm. every municipality has different, uh, different versions, different systems. Is there indeed somewhere a, a registry of everyone who has been vaccinated and who maintains that and who has access to it? I would say that it's probably in the works. I being in technology, that's pretty hard to pull off. Um, I think that they're probably halfway there. I think they're probably having some success. You know, I can kind of tell by their signaling and their framing that they're getting pretty confident on that. They should be calling IBM. Those are the guys that did it so well in World War II. Exactly. They, they, right. they had it down. Yeah, and there you have it, right? <laughs> A lot of people don't realize that. Oh, yeah. There's but, been some uh, good books written about it, too. 
Yeah, exactly. So in, in IBM, actually, you know, they, they've had some blockchain failure. So they're, they're running into some problems. And, you know, I've been happy to look at Glasgow and it, they, they're not having as much success as they thought they were going to have, I think. But we'll find out here probably next week. I think you've probably been keeping an eye on it as well. So I don't think they're quite there. You know, you mentioned with uh, Dvorak that, you know, you and I talk, we don't think they're quite there. And I don't think they are either. Right. And but you, you, you told me they had the marketing kind of lined up. Sure. And they're going to mark, you know, everybody's going to, you know, during the, <laughs> everybody's going to be peace loving, you know, we're going to save the planet from here on out. And, you know, especially with the kids, I mean, they're, they've got so much marketing built up that's ready to be spent. You know, they've spent in the last year, they've spent over, I think close by now, $400 million just in the, basically the fake meat industry. Well, they can take, you know, they could take a third of that for marketing and they can hit the airwaves with that. And so recently the fake meat industry has run into some issues as well. Before, before we get to the fake meat, um, sure. you know, in these types of conversations, I'm just as guilty of it. Uh, we talk about them, they, what they mm-hmm. want, etc. Can we put some definition around that? Because I, in, in general, I, I like to humanize people. It's very easy to say this guy's a dick. You know, Mark Cuban, clearly an a-hole. I mean, I think he's a transhumanist and he believes that technology will improve life. And so he has a very different belief system. Uh, But who do you and and, and Mark Cuban seems like too small a player to really be part of them, they and the big overall picture. How do you see that structure? I see it as basically I see it as people like the WEF, of course. Mm-hmm. I see it with the IMF. I see it with the central banks, of course, the Fed. Um, you know, people talk Bill Gates. You just brought up Cuban Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. Bill Gates is Bill Gates is really the distraction here. You know, he's a billionaire distraction, of course, and he does have an effect. He has an effect on people's spirit in a lot of ways that people don't realize as far as, you know, everybody's focusing on all the shitty stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's really answering to a bigger play. Um, and that's why I always talk about the source of the seed. And it's it's dangerous for me to talk about most Monsanto and Cargill. That that's who I focus on because they started in the United States of America. You know, Cargill family goes back very a long time. Let's put it that way. You can't reach the Cargill family. They're not out in in public. They do that by design. Cargill has a intelligence structure that mirrors the CIA. They have 7,000 people on the ground at any one time. Whoa. So. You want to talk about somebody that doesn't want you to know who they are and you say, who is they? Well, it's they. It's those guys that really don't want you to know who the hell they are. They want you to know Bill Gates. They want you to know <sighs> right. Mark Cuban, and that's by design. So in, we can say in that- 2019, the 23 Cargill McMillan family members owned 88 percent of the company which in 2019 earned $113.5 billion in revenue. There you have it. Okay, that's, yeah, that's pretty big. Why do they need our attention? (laughs) Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. They don't need Oprah. 
you know, Bill Gates is put on Oprah in 60 Minutes so he right. can be the distraction. And so, okay, so let's talk. Why, let's talk about the the Cargill McMillan family. Let's just give me a little a little primer since you focus on those guys. Well, Cargill. I mean, just look at their family. How how far do they go back? I mean, they go back to the monarchies. You know, they go back so far that it's even hard to trace. And so, how much do they control? Who controls our seed? And you know, who who truly controls the source? of our seed controls the source of everything that we are and they've done that even before america was america so put that into perspective okay and and so why would they ever give up the control of that seed why would they not manipulate that seed in a way that will control us in ways that we don't understand and so that's all you really need to know about that family. They're very protective. They don't like to be known. They like to make billions of dollars because it's really not about the money anymore. I mean, they they probably have a say-so when money gets printed, you know, and right. I don't have any proof of that. That's just me. But so you when know, you, knowing the, when you say ahead. go back to the, the seed, the this, this seed is the source. Is that in your, in your mind is so truly – the seed, one seed, be it, you know, corn or wheat or whatever it is, that is the genesis of all this change because of the, uh, the manipulation of the seed. Yes. 100%. This, it goes back to biblical times. It goes back to us even understanding what the seed was, um, in the history of man. The only thing that we know for sure is the purity of our life, of the way we think, of our spirit, of who we are, of our truth, of our honesty, and of our lies. It all starts with the seed. If that seed has been corrupted in ways that it goes against nature, goes against what we know as basically pure nutrition, then that has deception within that seed. The only way you get more deception is if you believe in that deception. Deception has a never-ending, you know, it, there is no scarcity to deception. Well, whenever you can engineer a seed in a certain way to where it won't grow unless you put a certain chemical on it, round up, mm-hmm. then then why would you not expand that? deception of that seed in directions that people don't understand, but they're always going to be addicted to that seed because they have to nurse their bodies. So let's look at that. What has happened in the last 50 years since we started developing these fake commodities? We are now 78% obese or overweight in the United States of America. One out of two of us is now diabetic or pre-diabetic. Children between the ages of 5 and 11 years old, 46% of them are obese or overweight. There's a fucking problem going on here, yeah. and nobody's talking about it. You know, and I oh, told Marty— the, the exact opposite, man. You can't tell someone, hey, man, you're obese because that's body shaming, bro. Exactly, and that's by design. Mm, yeah, I'm with you yeah. on that. 
that social social engineering you know that's being that's hijacking what tolerance truly is and you know tolerance is saying hey you're fucking up here okay let's take a look let's take a look and why do you desire what you desire what desire has caused you to be 200 pounds overweight what desire is causing you to be diabetic whenever you're 12 years old Okay, you look at that. Well, yeah, it's not it's not just because of sugary drinks. It's truly no. the essence. When I'm and we only have H E B where where I live. You know, if we need to just right. go to the grocery store, and you know, I, I, we never get our our beef or our chicken or anything like that or vegetables from there. Right. Uh, but I I'm in the line and I'm seeing what these moms, loving moms, what they are buying to feed their families. And I look at the kids and I'm like, can't you connect it? Right. It's just, it's the regular old things. It's the mac and cheese. It's easy. You know, pop, 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 throw it in there. And the kids love it. Well, you know, it, it, we are. We're, we're a society of convenience, and it's it's kind of shitty. I don't like convenience. <laughs> I like a low-time preference form of living that has a lot more high value. That comes from right on, me. Brother. Right on. That comes from me and my grandfather. My grandfather sit me down. <clears throat> When I was younger and saying, he called me Skipper, and he'd say, he'd say, whenever you want to buy something, always wait three days to get that item, no matter what it is. And and a lot of people, we don't do that. You know, it's instant gratification. No, it no, is the dopamine and mm-hmm. all that. You know, we all know this. And so going back to the seed, that's why I went on embedded myself into a harvest company. I said, I've got to find out about this fucking seed because it's corrupt. And I knew it was corrupt, but I didn't realize how much. And which seed was this? Well, I went I went for wheat because wheat harvest is fun. It's a blast. Really? <laughs> I wanted to, oh, yeah. I wanted to get on the combine. And it's beautiful, too. It's just, Oh, the combine. Know, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I've done a little bit of farming as a kid in the Netherlands. I did, you know, right. mostly indoor stuff. But I've also, you know, was in the field getting the potatoes, you know, all this stuff. And you have hand labor. <laughs> so sure, I, yeah. I learned a little bit about it. Yeah, but well, when you get to sit on the machine, you know, ah, now 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 you're cooking. Yeah, and these these machines, you know, they've they've grown throughout the years, of course. As we've monocropped, you know, the machines get bigger and they're more powerful. And um, it is, it's it's a it's a hell of an orchestration to be in a combine and get seven of them all in a row harvesting wheat. And so I went on wheat harvest. There's wheat harvest, and then there's, of course, forage, which is corn, mm-hmm. which we know we know about corn for the most part, how corrupt it's yes. become. Yeah, yeah. You just, just drive from uh, Austin up to Chicago. You can see all the, all the bio signs. Uh, this next field is modified by Monsanto. There you go. You know, and Monsanto is already you're dropping that name out oh, of the yeah. picture. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you go on wheat harvest, and I said, well, this is going to be fun. You know, I'm going to find out. I'm going to talk to some farmers. I'm going to talk to the harvest guys. I'm going to talk to some to grass fed beef guys on the way. And what I found out is, holy shit, the wheat harvest is half grapeseed this year. Oh my! Why in the hell in North Dakota is half of the harvest now grapeseed? What happened? That, they're making more money off of rapeseed than they are wheat. They're oh. devaluing wheat and they're giving you more money for canola or rapeseed. So what, is, what does that mean effectively? 
Well, it means the farmer has to basically make make money in the end, right? Yeah. So what he can do, he can subsidize his crop, his wheat crop, with the little rapeseed, and so once he once he does that, he can still maintain his profit margins that he's had in the past. He can still survive. He can still keep his debt flowing to buy the equipment that he needs. He can still here you go. He can still be obligated and be okay to sign the technology use agreement. Yeah. In which Monsanto engineered, you know, back in the day. And so he basically might have to, I don't know this for a fact, but he might have to sign a technology use agreement to plant more rapeseed than wheat. Mm. And that's me assuming, and it's not factual, but from what I can see, why would he be doing that if he wasn't captured? If a farmer's not captured and he understands what rapeseed is, he would he would tell them to piss off. He wouldn't grow that rapeseed. Are they is now is this choice being made because of an artificial suppression of the wheat price? I think it is. Uh, I think that's been happening for about three years now. And and is know, that modified as well? The wheat? Yeah, it's all been modified. You, you can't brown bag it anymore. That's part of the technology use agreement. By doing the technology use agreement, what you're saying is I'm going to plant this seed because the seed will only grow if you use these pesticides and herbicides on right, it. Right. And so that's it's a bigger thing than just the seed. Okay, so but but now I have to understand. So sure. um uh the the pitch to the farmer is hey, you want these seeds because um they consistently give a higher return, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And you know, sign our EULA as we'd call it in the technology industry and the EULA states yeah, uh, you can uh, certainly plant them next year, but not without uh, you know the agreement being in place and paying for it, et cetera. You can't keep them. You have you know the, all, all of that stuff. Um, is it no longer possible for farmers with seeds to achieve the same type of output that they uh, that they need? No, they can, but who are they in bed with? How captured are they by the USDA, the FDA? What is their dependency? What is their true dependency? Because you have a lot of guys out there doing regenerative. They're doing it their way, and they're basically going more onto a micro scale, the old party line type of farming where you take care of your community first, and then you go and expand out, out there. They've made it so easy to feed the world, Monsanto, we feed the world, Mm -hmm. that basically, you know, that's what farmers have become because Eric Butts in 1973, 72 told everybody you're going to go fence to fence with your farming. You're going to monocrop, and this is how the industry is going to be, and this is the only way you're going to survive. And there, you know, we had Farm Aid in the 80s. You know, the farmer has been – Is that Eric Butts of the Butts Fence Company? It was Eric Butts. He was basically. Uh, I'm learning the, uh, shit that I never heard of, man. Keep it coming. I love it. Eric Butts basically was in the Nixon administration, and he said, "Go big or go home," and that was one of the first times that had been used, I think. And basically, he said, "You're going to farm your crop, and it's going to go fence to fence. We're not wasting any more land here. You're not going to do those four to five crops anymore. It's going to be corn. It's going to be rapeseed. It's going to be wheat, whatever it is that they were basically 
building and engineering these fake commodities out of. So 1971, we killed the value of the United States dollar. We went off the gold standard. They had to basically create new value within our food, basically, which was a false value based on the deception of the seed. Okay, it's starting to come clear. And so I like this term that you're using, captured. Because mm-hmm. it's not just a matter of, you know, we bought into the sales pitch, you know, the USDA, as you said, comes into this. And this is right. really where, where John and I picked up the story about uh, the USDA and the processors when it comes to uh, beef, meat pro- products. Right. Yeah. And, you know, with the processors, that's always been the bottleneck. You know, everybody thinks the processors and the ranchers all get along and everybody's chummy, but that's just not the case really. Um, The processors, there's four major processors in the United States. We have Cargill, we have Tyson, we have National, and we have JBS. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you're eating from HEB or Albertsons or Kroger's or um, United, any of the major chains, you're eating beef coming through the processors. Okay. Those processors basically can manipulate the market in ways, and they always have, to create higher margins for themselves. They can cut supply, and a lot of the processors aren't even owned by you know people in the United States. A lot of them are owned by companies in Brazil. Basically, a lot of majority of the owners are in Brazil. I think it's called 3G is the big conglomerate. So they can manipulate the beef prices and that's what's going on in our society right now 50 percent you know inflation of our beef in the last year they're saying hey there's a cattle shortage there's no beef shortage they're just not processing it's it's actually kind of illegal what these fuckers are doing i mean they they are jacking up the price in total collusion with each other based upon lies of course they are. And, you know, they're capturing the beef industry, kind of like how they've already captured the pork industry. You know, pork was captured years ago, so they're going to go after it. And all this comes together, you know, with what's going on in Glasgow. So what these four, you know, processing industries have done is be able to capture basically the per- uh, processing market of our animal protein in ways that we don't understand. And everybody's just going to say, well, I'm not going to buy that beef. I'm going to, I'm going to get this cheap ass chicken or whatever it is, these cheap ass pork chops. Well, right there, you're making a mistake because beef protein is the most purest form of animal protein that you can get besides elk. You know, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. And so Venice, they know venison, this. Uh, venison, yeah, yeah. That, that counts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You bet. And so they know all of this. So as they're basically manipulating the beef market and they're shoving out the cattle ranchers in ways that nobody's talking about because they're not allowed to, you know, these cattle ranchers are having to suffer because they're having to feed or they're having to hold on to this beef longer. So it throws their process off as far as basically producing and raising that cattle. Mm. And so there's the bottleneck. So they're waiting longer to get their beef processed. That takes money out of their pocket. And they're the also, timing. yeah, and they're suppressing the 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 price of the uh, ahead of cattle. I mean, I've I've seen right. these prices go so low where the farmers like I, I got to sell something because otherwise you know, I can't be waiting around for the price to go lower. 
Exactly. I mean, they've got people out there that are harvesting a calf at 11 months, and that calf should wait until it's 24 months before you look at it. And so that beef is going to be horrible, but it's going to be red. It's going to, you know, say USDA certified, you know, and that's where the big psyop is. Okay, but why? So but I'm trying to understand why. Why will they do that? Why will they uh, basically uh, process the animal at half the age it's supposed to be? What's the point? Well, the cattle rancher asked certain, not all of them. There's some fantastic. There are certain people in the cattle industry that will process a, a calf no matter what, just because they they have to stay in business. Okay. The USDA allows them to do that. Okay. All right. You know, that's part of Everybody thinks with all these rules and regulations don't get bent. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, that's bullshit. They get bent all the time. Well, so and, they're also know, not really for our protection is what, what no. you're saying. Yeah. Hell no. Yeah. It's not for our protection. None of it is. So, okay. So, so, so now what you told me, my takeaway from our phone conversation was the processors mm-hmm. are now all in on uh, fake meat. And, oh, yeah. And they are – now, what do you need a processor for if you're pumping out fake meat? Is it the same machinery? No, we get to create a whole new industry that has new machinery as well. <laughs> okay, but why do those guys get? Uh, why are they given the privilege of doing that? Can anyone start this? No, it'll be basically the same for processing companies that have access to the capital and to the debt economy that is required to create this new false value commodity. I mean, it's really simple. They did it in 1971. Look what the, you know. Look what happened to the farming, you know, in 70s and 80s. This is what they're trying to do to our animal protein now, moving forward. So they get the people that are buying into this, and they're saying, "Hey, I can take the cow out of the equation. I can make you think it's like the cow, tastes like the cow, but it actually has nothing to do with the cow." And basically, there you go. You have a new fake commodity that's going to make you fat, lazy, and stupid again, and it's going to make you unhealthy because you're not getting the source of protein that they know that you need that if it was done correctly that they would not be in business and so now i can see how it all kind of fits together where you're tracking all this production in essence from uh, from the seed uh, from the duplication of the seed that the farmer uses because he's using right. a, a copy a dupe uh all exactly. the way through um, you know, in the in our in the example of Mark Cuban with his dairy farm, they track everything, every single step of the way. Uh, most of these things are registered on a blockchain somewhere, so that it all feeds into the human blockchain, uh, which could be one, it could be it could be multiple. We're not quite sure. And then with that, they're going to um, be collecting data on everything that goes into your body. So they can do two things. One, they can adjust it to make you just as productive as they want to. And I presume that that uh, adjustment, I mean, the, the beauty would be if we could get uh, digital money, like a central bank digital currency, you know, the digital dollar, with uh, with a wallet linked to it, you'll get your, uh, what do you call it, the personal uh, carbon allotment. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll be like, hey, I'd really like to buy this flank steak. And your wallet will say, too much carbon this month. Try the impossible meat instead. Bingo. I mean, that's the, that's the game plan. That's the 2030 plan right there. Um, 
that's it. And, you know, are you a good, you know, are you a good vegan? Are you a good citizen? You know, because right now what they're really trying to do in Glasgow is they're trying to label the cow as a carbon hazard. Yeah, well, of course it, it farts. I mean, more, it farts more than our president. Right, exactly. <laughs> He's also a carbon uh, danger. <laughs> he really is. And he does it in front of royalty. So, yeah, so they know, say. So they yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, so they say. But, you know, if they can actually on the international scale put the, the, cattle, the cattle as basically a carbon hazard, they've won. They've like, oh, kick ass, because now we have that carbon credit, basically scrutiny allotment. You know, you, you now, if you're consuming that carbon hazard, you're not a good citizen. You don't get as much with your digital currency. You know, Man, you don't get we, as much we, are, we are sleepwalking right into this, aren't we? Big time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's happening. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, and we're going to create a parallel economy. I mean, that's why we're in, I'm into Bitcoin. I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you are, but I'm pretty sure you are. Oh, brother, brother, I am, I am trying to save podcasting with, uh, with Bitcoin, with go. value for value. Well, this is – okay, so uh, I just what you just said, I've been following this uh, professor from uh, Belgium, Matthias de Smet. And mm-hmm. he's, we've played a couple of his clips on the show. He talks about mass formation and how, you know, this COVID uh, uh, scenario was, you know, created what he calls mass formation, which is a form of hypnosis where 30% of, of the entire population is all in and they'll do anything they're told just to move away from the pain of isolation, etc. Uh, 30% d- sees through it, doesn't believe it at all. And then forty percent is kind of you know they'll they'll stick with the with the previous thirty percent just to not make waves and those are the people sure. that that eventually once those people start shifting over you can't convince the thirty percent or can you convince the quote unquote leaders because they're also many of them if not most are in the same hypnotic state and they just get myopic which is what you're seeing in Australia with uh, with Dan Andrews they get yes. completely focused and they just go crazier and in fact. In this state of hypnosis, the crazier the thing is that you have to do, the more willing people are, are to do it, such as t- double, triple masking. This is That was almost like a test to see, are they really hypnotized? Oh, yeah, it's working fine. So you have that, and he says this usually devolves into a totalitarian state, different from a dictatorship, because a dictatorship is someone who knows what they're doing, and, 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 they're, and they're killing, etc., for purpose now there may be dictatorship above but the the you know like biden and biden administration and um uh, boris johnson you know they're they're just they're likely in kind of the same state but he said the only totalitarian states historically always fall apart you know the revolution eats itself etc the trick is is to be able to keep speaking your truth which is what podcasting is about literal free speech Mm-hmm. And to maintain a parallel system until the shit comes falling down. And that's where we're at now. And that's why I'm so interested in what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I've st- you studied a lot of intelligence and I wanted to bring that up today is like that's what we have to do. We have to keep speaking our truth in a way that a lot of people are afraid to. And we have to utilize the tools and you're the master at it right now. And that's why, you know, I was so excited that you reached out. You know, in the CIA, they said, you know, you go out there and you punch them in the face. You bull- <laughs> 
you bulldog them mm-hmm. and you you see what you can do you see the reaction because they don't know who you are you keep you know you keep the distraction going you become the distraction with the truth and then you you know you keep it you know persistent with that and we are building a parallel um basically economy a parallel basically society as far as how we behave and how we act in society and i'm very i told marty it's like i'm excited for this it needed to happen let's i tell everybody you were wearing a mask before covid now we know what kind of mask you were wearing <laughs> yeah right yes sir and now now people have been exposed and so you know it's like playing a game of chess they're playing chess with us let's play chess with them you know let's counterpunch in the way and that's why this is exciting for me and it's why i've gravitated into it i don't have to go to harvest i'm a gen xer i don't have to go do that crap <laughs> anymore you know i don't have to participate in this stuff but the truth needed to be told in a way that I could tell it by really getting down, not just sitting behind my computer all day, but really going out there and seeing the real world and seeing how people are captured or they're not captured. If they're if they're if they're basically Plato's allegory of the cave or where are they, you know, in society. And I think I have a pretty good indication. I think you do too. So mm-hmm. I mean I think we're just getting started here, and I think it's going to be uh, very empowering for a lot of people because they're going to be able to say, I'm finding my truth now. You know, thanks, guys. So what is the Texas Beef Initiative? Is that a real entity? Is it your substack? Is it the concept? What What is it at this point? Yeah, well, it started out as concept. Um, I went ahead and just I went ahead and bought the URL and everything. I'm doing all the legal stuff. It will become an entity. Basically, what I'm going to try to do is create a whole new uh, localized beef industry in the state of Texas. And hopefully other states can do what Texas does because we lead the way in beef. And, you know, being Texan, being part of ranching and farming growing up, being in the state that has different, you know, rules than the rest of the country, I thought it was just a no-brainer. Say, let's form something that people can associate with. Let's get a lifestyle change going on here. So it's going to be more, you know, change in lifestyle, understanding pure nutritional protein delivery to you and your family in a way that our grandfathers used to do it. And so it is going to become a bigger platform. It's going to be a a big networking that has a lot of mesh networking that goes on. It's going to be a party line type of system. And, you know, we're going to basically create a whole new beef industry in the state of Texas. This is about basically supporting the local rancher that's trying to survive right now in getting that awareness out there. And so the Texas Beef Initiative is going to be me knowing my local rancher, looking at him in the eye and basically saying thank you for basically, you know, uh, producing this beef and harvesting this beef for me, supplying this beef to my family. That's what I want people to understand what the Texas Beef Initiative is. So how do we set these networks up? I mean, the beauty, of course, is that um, the the networks already exist. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the people who uh, do these individual things, these individual pieces in the, in, uh, let's just call it what it is, the supply chain. How, sure. how do we go about connect them? First of all, are there enough ranchers, farmers for us to, uh, to source things from? Yeah, I believe there is, you know, and this is kind of, it doesn't really tell the story, of course, because we know how rules and regulations get 
laws get bent. But in the state yeah. of Texas, we have 248,000 registered farmers and ranchers. Wow. I've done I've done a scrape, and I've got some. Um, uh, some data scientists on this right now. I think we've got about 540 possible producers, suppliers, not enough local processors yet. But I think we do have enough in the state of Texas that if everybody wanted to go out there and get localized beef, we could do it. And that what what better place to start than Texas? Because we are, I think, I think the architecture is there to set this up. Yeah, I agree. Now, do you now how? Uh, I can see the obvious reasons down the road why Bitcoin will be important because, sure. you know, if you want to stop this uh, practice, these these evil Texans from feeding each other good, uh, healthy food, you're going to cut off their money supply. That's just how it works. It, it, it right. happens with everything. If if you say too much on YouTube, we first we cut off your money supply and then we get rid of you altogether. Right. So what are the legalities of this? Are there current laws that forbid this process? No, because in the state of Texas, you can sell beef differently than you can, you know, under the USDA umbrella. The state of Texas in, you know, the beef suppliers are still under the USDA, but Texas is the representative of the USDA. So you can have a Texas certified beef and you can sell locally. Mm. So you don't have to worry about other people like in other states. If it's not USDA certified, you only your family can eat that half cow. Well, it's different in the state of Texas. And that's ah. why we're going to have success doing Is, are there What other states allow this? Man, there's not very many of them. Uh, I, very few right now, but there's a lot of them like North Dakota, I believe Maine, Tennessee, uh, maybe Montana. There's some people really working on the localization of being able to sell that localized beef in a different way. How, how in God did Texas escape this, uh, this draconian thought? Well, we basically... We, we, I think it was a bunch of old laws. I mean, we, the reason Texas exists as it has that it is today is not by oil, but the really the foundational reason Texas is Texas was because of the cow. And that was because in the beginning, whenever Texas became part of the union, the United States, we fed the nation with with beef and so they they were able to establish you know a precedence a long time ago that has heritage and tradition built around those laws you come fuck with the beef industry in the state of texas you're going to have to answer to a lot of different things that you won't have to answer in a place like mississippi you might have to answer to mr smith and wesson you probably would, yes. <laughs> so, you know, there's more there's fourteen million cattle in Texas. It is an industry that, you know, they don't the last thing we've done is like, hey, beef, what's you know, it's for dinner, whatever, you know, that commercial back in the, I guess it was the eighties, nineties. But they really haven't done much. You know, they, they tried to sue Oprah in the nineties. And so they they've kind why? of been, why why did they want to sue Oprah? I don't I don't know the story. Well, she had a story, it's one of her things whenever she was getting you know, big and overweight mm. and she was she was captured by some nutrition. Oh, diet no, no, Oprah Oprah over. Oprah is one of them. Believe oh, of me, course. Oprah's oh, up yeah. high. Oh, She's yeah. high priestess, no doubt about oh. it. Oh, of course. And so she basically she she said some crap on the Oprah show. So they sued her ass, and she had to go through the lawsuit. And it was actually it took place in Amarillo, Texas. Is you can look that up. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's up, up, up right up the top. 
Yeah, and so basically they sued Oprah and everything, but they kind of took a step back, and you know now they're just they're, the local processors are coming back, like my grandfather had out there in Lotney, Texas. So you're seeing I have a local processor. He's just opening up this month, so they're starting to pop up. This is going to be the key. It's not going to be the like Nebraska did those ranchers in Nebraska where they raised three hundred million dollars to know to open up one processing plant. How we're going to have success first in the state of Texas is that we get more processing plants opened micro mesh processing plants where you're basically doing 200 cattle a week instead of 2000 a week and that can be done it can be affordable our laws favor it in the state of texas and so that's why we're going to have to be the flagship with the texas beef initiative you know the texas beef initiative is going to be educational it's going to be lifestyle it's going to be the best basically nutrient that you can supply your your family and your children have you um have you set up any of these end-to-end uh networks yet so from yeah, rancher well, what, to uh, to retailer yeah, to yeah. consumer yeah what we've did we we're working with two right now i've i've been talks with about 10 other uh i just got back from austin in the hill country and i met with uh cole and he owns knc cattle uh-huh. and he's basically regenerative ranching right there in the city limits of austin you've got to check him out and um what they're doing is he's he is really doing it the right way. It's amazing what he's doing with the land and with the cattle. He just he just agreed and he wants to onboard and start accepting Bitcoin. And so we're onboarding him this week onto a new app. It's called the Oshi app. And what it is, it's built on top of the Bitcoin protocol and it brings, you know, basically the power of Bitcoin and it does a, the delivery and the exchange through the Lightning Network. Uh, how do I spell? How do I spell Oshi? Yeah, it's O S H I. Oshi app. Yeah, and if you do, uh, on, I believe it's at Oshi app on uh, Twitter. Yeah, they also have OshiApp dot com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I see it right here. Okay, all right. So, what's different about about this one? What we're what I'm I hate to use the word pitching, but what I'm basically presenting in that value add is that that rancher does not have to pay that 2.6 2.7 processing fee anymore mm-hmm. to the banks he doesn't have to worry about the banks he can put that money into fiat or he can put half of his basically uh cells of that cattle into or that beef into bitcoin and half of it into fiat he can hang on to it in that wallet the oshi app and then basically you know once he eliminates that 2.7 processing fee he can hold on to that and basically that helps basically add to his profit margins in the long run Mm -hmm. so that's a good start and if he wants to say hey i'm going to put 10 percent of each cell into bitcoin and let it set in that bitcoin well we know that bitcoin number go up and so they're going to be able to leverage the power and the valuation of bitcoin in a way that they nobody else is able to do at this point in time so i have i had an i had a thought about this sure um so i'm in hill country i'm in gillespie county and i happen to know one of the the new board members um of the gillespie tourism board or something you know it's the people who are supposed to bring people to 
Fredericksburg and Kerrville right. and uh, I guess is Bernie a part of uh, Gillespie? It's close. My, it's, it's close it's enough. Right there. Yeah. Um, and and I was thinking of and this and this might be the right the right timing or at least the pieces are coming into play. I was thinking of going to to him, John. I said, "Look, man, um, mayor of New York is says he's taking Bitcoin first three the first three salary. Mayor of Miami, oh, I'm going to take my salary in Bitcoin. They got a, what's called a Bitcoin strategy, and we need a Bitcoin strategy for Gillespie County. And here's the thought: it could be as simple as you know, a uh, I'm I'm part of the Texas Beef Initiative sticker." Uh, or whatever it is on on the window, make give everybody who's interested in in participating some training on the app. You know, and and I was actually thinking in my mind it was maybe it was Strike because it does something similar, right? Where it can go straight right. through to your uh, to your bank account and not necessarily mm-hmm. uh, have a you know fees for conversion, etc. Um, sure. But really, it, because that's all that it really is, and that's what a, a you know community. Um, a tourism marketing board does is they have to give people reasons to come to the wineries they need, you know, and the, the wineries may be another place we can look at that. You know, it's a form of, you know, direct from, from the, the grape right there in the ground into your mouth while you're drinking it. I'm sure there's a lot of bullshit going on, but in general, um, and, 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 and have this become a brand that people recognize and know that when you're using this app and you're using Bitcoin, you are um, helping the network grow, helping add to the to the wealth, uh, uh, long term wealth of the entire system, um, and you are protecting it at the same time. And I think there's a, a case to be made there. I think there's a huge case there, and I I just think that we haven't had the, lack of a better word, utility to be able to do that. Well, the OCAP's already working. People are already using it. Excellent, um, excellent. And, I, and it's not just this flat. I mean, there's been some work put into this. Michael, the owner of OCAP, I've met him several times. We're working very close together. He basically is onboarding uh, Cole out there at KNC um, tomorrow. And so I guarantee you there's going to be 10 Bitcoiners that buy beef. Of course, I'm I'm right, right on board, now. brother. I'm right there. There you go. Of yeah, course. You, you, of course. Be the first. He will try to get you to be the first. Go buy half a cow, right? I already but, ordered the freezer. It should be here on the 18th. So I'm close. Awesome. I'm close. <laughs> You're doing it right, Abner. You're doing it right. But you know, your idea as far as Gillespie, you know, I'm coming up with jargon and everything. But yes, to have that sticker say, you know, are you part of the Texas Beef Initiative and the OSHI app? And that's that's how we got to do this. This is how we have to organize the narrative here. And if we can go to these smaller communities, these counties, especially in the hill country, because it is becoming a huge tourist destination spot, you know this. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it's I the do. New- it's the new, you especially know, for drunk chicks. There you go. <laughs> Bachelorette parties, man. Bachelorette yeah, exactly. parties. <laughs> oh my God! You know, Fredericksburg is notorious, and uh, you know the wineries. I mean, this stuff is about to explode in ways people don't understand. And if we can just get our foot in the door, because what they're going to do on December second with the Oshi app and the um, basically the Bitcoin Club there in. Austin Mm -hmm. is they're going to have a block party on rainy street and they're going to onboard. They're already onboarding restaurants right now. And it's going to be a huge deal. You you know, the, uh, what's the name of the, Oh, I know the owner of that play. The, Oh, come on. They got one in San Antonio, got one in Austin. They're huge. 
Uh, I'm sorry. I'll I'll look it up. Keep going because I sure this is, we got to onboard them. They got like yeah. eight, eight huge restaurants. We got to there you go for sure. And that's what's that's what's been holding us back. It's like oh we got lightning. Nobody really knew. Okay, and I was in the software industry for a long time. Now that we have this capture tool that can put a narrative around it that is totally functional, that actually adds value to that purchase, right? In ways that it never has, people are going to jump all over this. You get ten restaurants and bars on Rainy Street doing this; they own that entertainment district moving forward because if everybody else is doing it on rainy street nobody's not gonna not do it kung fu saloon right, uh kung there. fu saloon uh we're having dinner with uh, with one of the owners on uh on saturday i'm gonna i'm gonna pitch him so damn hard you have to mm-hmm. and you know I, I can give you uh michael's uh contact yeah and you want to talk about somebody that can talk about it a hell of a lot better than i can michael can but uh he did a pitch there at the capital factory last thursday that's oh, nice. why i was in austin so the so, so the so the idea is bitcoin bonds us all together um mm-hmm. the uh, and i love the idea of an app that you know, that we're saying this is the one dedicated and, you know, and I, I'll, I'll install it and I'll take a look at it, of course. Um, sure. And, you know, but here's the reasons why right off the bat, you, you know, your process, your, your, um, your transaction fees are uh, almost zero um, or maybe there's zero. I'm not quite sure how the system works, but I, I, I get the idea. At the same time, you can stake some of this in, uh, in Bitcoin and keep it and, uh, and keep that longer term. Uh, this is this is very very exciting. It's a great idea because you have a bonding mechanism, and and right. I, and it sounds weird, man. But we need a fucking um, window sticker. <laughs> yeah, know, we do. Za- we need the Zagat sticker of the Texas Beef Initiative because that's what works. Exactly. I mean, I've got all the design work and everything for the Texas Beef Initiative. Like I said, I didn't know it was going to happen this fast. And so shame on me. And uh, but I was on freaking harvest. You know, I had to readjust here a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I, I got it. We have to meet with you. Uh, and yeah. when I say we, I, I want you to meet my wife, Tina. Sure. Uh, she's a, a former C-suite level marketing communications uh, executive. She likes doing stuff. She likes helping and she may Excellent. be able to help writing newsletters or or other kinds of things and she she loves this kind of stuff and 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 I'm saying it because she's so invested in you know just having read your you know uh, right. your initial substack uh that you know and we'll get more people to help this is a really important important and good idea yeah i mean just going to austin and meeting some of those guys those young and hungry guys it reminded me whenever i was in the startup industry i see something going on here oh yeah it's very 28 year olds 29 year olds very exciting yeah they're very freaking tuned in and they're laser focused and they are committed they don't have a lot of obligations besides doing this for bitcoin and for their community so we have a lot of talent that and we we need that legacy talent such as your wife and yourself and me that can bring experience to the table and saying hey this is how we need to do this this is the marketing of this and the way that bitcoin will accept too yeah because we don't want to be larpy we want to be truthful about this and by you know by leveraging oshi the way that you and i are just talked about we're going to have success it's going to happen and that's what's so exciting about this because in the beginning i didn't know exactly how am i going to get these ranchers on board because it's hard to 
talk to ranchers. Yeah. You have to talk their language. They're going to understand this. I will be able to frame it. And any Bitcoiner in the state of Texas can go on board, basically a rancher or whoever they're buying their localized beef from. That's the beauty That's of this. The, yeah, that is a great idea. Everyone can, can participate in building the network. Perfect. It, Exactly. And what we do, we need stickers that people can access. We need a t-shirt. What, you know, we need, yeah, swag. Sure. We, need we need that stuff to where it is a thought process. It is something that is an identifier and it is a form of a brand that's saying, this is how I eat beef. How do you eat beef? I like an Oshi cow more than an H-E-B cow, you know? <laughs> Oshi cow. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that. That's a really cool um, I'm, I'm so happy that you, uh, that you took, you had the time to, uh, um, to walk me through this. I, I think this is just phenomenal. It's a great idea. And I think it could catch fire very easily. I'm so happy to hear, cause that was kind of the, you almost buried the lead on me. Like, Oh, we got an app by the way, that we're using while onboarding people. Hello. Right. <laughs> well, I was going to announce it today. I just wanted to talk to you, you know, virtually face to face here. So, you know, it, it, not too many people understand what's going on yet. But, you know, I knew that this would be a good time to really talk about it in depth with you because I know you get it. I mean, you're the master of decentralization right now and understanding what that means and the value and the type of value we can bring to these ranchers in these restaurants. Whoever wants to, you know, jump on board, they're going to be able to. You know, it's not restricted to any type of retail or service. It's up to the person that is providing that retail goods and service. Right. So there's we're, a, there's we're a, starting. Yeah. And there's a restaurant in Fredericksburg. I got my, you know, vaudeville, you know, the, the oh, she, yeah. she, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, I have the, you know, I have a, an interesting, uh, part of me, which is, you know, eventually people of a certain age will go, Oh fuck. I know who you are. So yeah. I, I got to the owner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I'm going to onboard uh, the the, uh, the most expensive restaurant in Fredericksburg. Man, that's the best place to start. Yeah, know? because they're already really, you know, he's French Canadian. He's, so he's right. already all picky about the food, you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just make me even better that way. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. I think that, you know, and he knows, especially if he's French Canadian, I mean, he's got to beat everybody else to the punch and you got to make him a little jealous in the way, you know, envious. In exactly. Way you know how. <laughs> exactly. So you got to play with him a little bit. <laughs> Is there anything I left out, anything I missed that we haven't talked? I, mean, I know we can and we will be speaking more uh, and certainly uh, as as uh, as I see how how I can help. Is there anything else you need to to get out there? As far as the Texas Beef Initiative or as far anything, as food intelligence, anything. Any, well, anything. one thing, one thing I, I think what's really people need to understand that, you know, is not talked about enough is is basically how they've based the last three years, how they've bent the rules with our food. Our food is not the same as it was 10 years ago, and they're planning on basically corrupting it even more. Um, we have the grass rule, and that's by the FDA. Well, they just want a lawsuit that they were getting sued for saying, hey, you are stretching the boundaries with GMO, with basically additives to our food supply. Well, the FDA won, of course. And so now they're going to be able to add a, a probably close to, I think, on the books right now, a thousand new chemicals to our food supply. They don't have to tell you what those chemicals are. So, Jeez. This is called and, the, the grass rule? Yeah, G-R-A-S. Generally recognized as safe. 
<laughs> I love that. Ah, uh, yeah. This is a European Union thing. This is where I think I first exactly. heard that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so here in the United States, they are going to be able to add more chemicals to our food supply. Okay. Let's think about that. What are they doing with our food supply? They're trying to take away our protein with basically genetified crap protein. So a lot of times they don't have to tell you what is in that food. A lot of times that food is based on nanotechnology as well. There's a lot of stuff that's coming down the pipe that they're not going to have to tell you about, that we have no idea what it is, why it is in the food, and that's why it's so important to focus on the Texas Beef Initiative and understand what I'm really trying to do here. I'm trying to save children's lives their possibilities that they can have based on good nutrition. And we as adults have to look at it in a different way. We can't just be ignorant anymore when it comes to our food. We have to take a step back and we have to really say, I'm not going to live in this lie anymore. Whatever that takes as individuals, we have to ask that question to ourselves. And what better way to do it than Texas beef that is locally grown in a way that we've always been doing it from day one. And you're and 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 by participating in the network, you're helping it grow. You're helping yes. um, you're helping the actual wealth grow. Uh, considering number goes up, and over time, I've seen nothing but that as fact. Right. Um, and uh, and you're going to live longer. This is all good. Now, for vegetables, etc. Is, are there similar people thinking about this? I mean, it's obviously yes. just as easy to onboard. It's the same system, right? You bet. There's a lot of people, you know, they're looking at farmer's markets and, you know, that's where yeah, all right. the vegetables people hang out. And so we're looking at how can we get a consortium of the farmer's markets in Texas? What is that group, basically, that umbrella group that talks to the farmer's markets? We can talk on the ground level, but we also need to talk to the consortiums as well. Right. And so we've got some people uh, in Austin. I've got some people up here in the panhandle that are looking into that. I think it should be symbiotic. I think it should be, you know, lockstep and barrel, you know, with the Texas Beef Initiative. Yeah, my, my buddy, uh, Farmer Chris, who works the Austin Republic Square um, uh-huh. on, uh, what is that, Saturday mornings? Right. Um, he does eggs, and I've, I've known him for 10 years. Uh, and what was always, what I always thought was when I was living downtown, of course, I would go every single week, but what was so cool is they had their own form of money. If you've seen the, the wooden, the wooden Mm -hmm. one and $5 things they've got. And and so they already have these farmer market, farmers markets often already have a culture of let's keep the money within our own ecosystem, which is Bitcoin in this case. And so that may be a, a pretty easy transition. I think it's a no-brainer. I think it is just getting past that level of intimidation of like, ah, this is messing with my money. Right. But when you say, hey, look, the the mayor of New York is getting paid in it, the mayor of Miami now comes a little bit closer. It comes a little bit closer to home. It does. And you say, hey, look at this K&C cattle. Look how you know successful they're being with this. Look at these restaurants on Rainy Street. I mean, that this is where it all starts. Right. I don't think I don't think it'll be hard, Adam. I think that once it starts, it'll snowball. Yeah. When are you doing the Rainy Street onboarding? That's going to be December 2nd. Okay. And um, you can look at uh, Bitcoin Bomb. His name is Kyle Murphy. He is behind that. And he, he is, man, he's doing a lot of things for the Austin community. And so look at his page 
and uh, he's going to be putting out the signal. And you know, they're really. And then Michael with Oshi is also working with uh, Kyle on this. Oh man, this is so exciting! This this is really fantastic. It's it's it exactly really what needs to happen. Um, I can't wait. I didn't think I was going to be going to Austin that much, but I might have to get a new place in Austin. As well. uh, be careful with that, brother. <laughs> I know it. You know, been, well, you know, I, I was in Austin for half my life. Yeah, but you so don't want to get captured in Austin. It can well, happen real easy probably, now. What I'll probably do is head out to the Hill Country and be close. Well, there's always uh, always a bed and a, and a sandwich here in the Hill Country for you if you need it. And I look forward to meeting you in person and uh, seeing how we can uh, how we can push some of this some more of this uh, forward. I really appreciate that, and I I know that you uh, you basically um, like to basically push the envelope as far as being progressive with positive things and mm-hmm. truthful things, and you know you're doing a good thing. And I'm glad you're in the hill country, and I think <laughs> I think it's I think right. <laughs> I think it's going to be exciting to bring the Hill Country along with us. Yes. I think it's going to be very key. There's a lot of smart people out in the Hill Country right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and they're all turned on and tuned in for sure. They really are. Yeah. Where uh, where can people find you, uh, Texas Slim? What's the best way but, to Right, right now, you can use uh, – I'll just give my, my encrypted email. It's uh, txslim at mtminitiative.com. Okay. And then at Modern T Man on Twitter. Yeah, I got that. Modern and then of mm-hmm. and then of course my Substack, yep. initiative.substack.com. Outstanding. Uh Texas Slim, you're doing God's work, man. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you reviving this show of mine. <laughs> hey, I appreciate thank you, Adam. I appreciate you having me, man. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. And uh of course, uh, pieces of this can be heard in the no agenda show uh, that I do with John C. Dvorak. Until next time, everybody, this has been Texas Slim with Adam Curry. New York girls, they can be so pretty, but I get cold living in the city, oh, and then I've got to go.